If you want more money, you need to work harder, put in more overtime, go higher up the ladder. That's just what it was. And I'm starting to see with real estate, that that's not correct. I have several college degrees and I do use them for teaching, but I don't need that for real estate. You just really need to know how to talk to people and make those connections because the financial part will take care of itself. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Hannah Bursage. Hannah is a real estate investor. She's a teacher. She's a mom. She's a wife. And today we're talking about how she and her family got started investing in real estate just before COVID hit and how they continued to grow and build their real estate portfolio and how she balances or thinks about balancing her real estate, her job, her family, and everything that is going on. We talk about how she and her husband acquired single families, how they acquired an off-market apartment complex, and so much more. How she thinks about limiting beliefs and getting through imposter syndrome and networking. So much great knowledge. Hannah has learned so much in her time as a real estate investor. I'm sure she has a lot of great things ahead. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Hannah Bursajay. Here we go. Hannah, great to finally get you on the show. I'm excited to go through how you got started in real estate investing, what your drive was and how you balance that with your W-2 and family and everything like that. And before we get to all the big lessons, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. Thanks, Taylor. I'm so excited to be on your show. My name's Hannah. I'm from South Louisiana. My W-2 is I'm an elementary education teacher. I teach fifth grade, well, fourth grade this coming year. My husband is an operator chemical plant. We had always kind of talked about real estate. Let's do it. Let's not do it. COVID hit. Because he's an operator of chemical plant, the world was shutting down. We didn't know what was happening. And at the time, we lived in a stupid big house in a country club, gated golf course, whatever. And he came home and he was like, I think I might lose my job. We can't afford to live our life. I just bought a BMW. He had the sports car plus wow. his pickup plus the house. We can't do it off of my salary. Said this, it doesn't end this way. So he's like, all right, let's do it. Let's buy some real estate. And so we kind of looked around, shopped around. We really weren't sure what we were doing. We were super green. We had gone to a local meetup right before COVID hit and was like, okay, let's do it. So we found a house off the MLS. So it was a new construction house. And we're like, all right, let's go buy it. We went to the bank, got the money, getting ready to buy it. It sold. And I was like, okay, well, Jesus is telling me that this is not for us. The next day they called us back and said, oh, they're, they lost out on their funding. You can have it. So we bought it. We put the conventional, per, you know, 20% down. I was terrified to buy this house because it was a big chunk of money out of our savings account. We didn't know what was happening. We bought that house. We didn't get a rental for three months. Wow. Terrified. I mean, absolutely terrified. We finally got the renter in and we got that first rent check. And I was like, okay, sell everything. So we did. We sold the big house. I got rid of the BMW and we bought a tiny little starter house. And we're like, okay, well, this is it. We're going to live here and we're going to buy houses. Well, the plan was to buy one house every five years. And that just wasn't going to be fast enough. So we ended up buying multiples. We ended up with, with three single family homes. And then because I am a talker, 
I was at the doctor one day and talk about real estate and the amazing benefits of it and the tax deductions and like all these wonderful things. And he was like, I think I have a patient selling an apartment complex. And I'm like, oh my God, be my best friend. And we bought it. We bought that from the his patient. So we have the apartment complex and a couple of houses. So that's kind of how real estate happened. We now want to learn more about syndication. We're looking at mentorships to join. I am extremely passionate about real estate. I believe that anyone can do this. It's not rocket scientists. There are hard days and speed bumps and banks, well, they suck. But anybody can do this. I believe it. So that's kind of, that's me. I love that. I love the story. And <laughs> I, I'm there's so many things that we can dig into here. First, I'd like to talk about the lifestyle that you lived before you decided to focus more on building wealth through real estate investing and what it took to mentally step away from that and sell the big house and sell the cars and you know all those things. I mean, that's not a small undertaking and especially with the cars. I mean, you're going to take a hit. At least you're getting rid of that big payment probably, but still you're not winning on that deal, right? So we had this big house, right? We had a 3,200 square foot house in the golf club community, whatever. The house was hard to sell because I feel like I had made it. I had this big house. I had the Beamer, right? Like I had all the shiny things. And when we sold it and we moved to this tiny little starter house, everyone thought, what is wrong with you? My mother, what are you doing? What are you doing? For what? It was really hard, but we now are much, much further than we were. If my husband loses his job, we would not still be able to have amazing lifestyle, but like our bills are gonna be paid, we're fine. We've since left that small turn starter home, we've turned it into another rental. We have a nice house, not like we did, but we're fine. Uh, we're back to the big vehicles, all that stuff. It was very, very challenging, more so from everyone else telling me, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like you made it. So for me, it wasn't as hard as everyone else. Did I cry? Twice, I did, but. I'm in a much better financial position now than I was back then. And that's everything. Yeah, I'm sure you are. So how would you say your thought processes have changed when it comes to making those decisions and, and avoiding buying the big house once again and kind of forgetting about the what it really took to push you, the feeling of insecurity that it took to push you out of the big house? And how do you think about those things now and your priorities? I think now, well, it's mindset, flat out. Every person you read about, every video you watch on YouTube or TikTok, pick one, they're all gonna be about mindset because it's true. I have friends who are struggling financially. I have friends who have stupid money and they're not doing great because they, they're spending it on all these liabilities. We no longer at our house call things cars, houses, boats. It's either an asset or a liability. My daughter just turned five and she's not quite there, but she knows that some things are assets and some things are liabilities. And so it's, it's just an absolute mindset shift. Do I think I'll ever go back to the big house? I did at one point want one. Now I think I want a house in the woods, a house on the beach, a house in the mountains, regular house, just different locations. So it's, it's just mindset, just being able to move forward and realize that I want to build a financial legacy that my daughter can work into the business with us and build it as well. It's just a shift. Nice. So a lot of folks wonder about, first we covered cutting down the lifestyle to focus on buying assets rather than liabilities. The other part is balancing the time commitment of actively doing real estate with 
a W-2 like you have, like your husband has, and of course you have your family as well to think about. So how do you balance your real estate commitments with your W-2, with your daughter and, you know, all of everything that's involved? So you brought up the word balance. I know a lot of people talk about this work-life balance. I don't, I used to, I no longer believe in work-life balance. <laughs> I believe in work-life harmony. It cannot be perfectly balanced. It, it just can't be. There are nights, because I self-manage all of our stuff, there are nights where I have to do four leases. My five-year-old wants out a tea party. Sorry, babe, right now you get to go watch My Little Pony and I have to do this. And when I'm done, I'm on layers, I can do it. Scheduling is a massively huge part of us. I have this big giant calendar behind me. If it doesn't get up on the calendar, it's not happening. Everything from dance lessons to sign language classes, everything has to be scheduled in. I do rely on help. My mom and my mother-in-law are wonderful babysitters. I need in a pinch, but there's no such thing as balance. It can't be balanced. I'm either going to be really good at something or, well, half-ass everything. So I do the very best I can with what I'm doing at work. Um, so I said I'm a teacher. We have something called a planning period where you're supposed to you know, write lesson plans, grade papers, whatnot. I am a huge proponent of using every single moment available. To me, I use it. I'm not going to stay in the halls and chit chat. If I'm going to work, I'm going to do my work so I can move on to something else. Will I make a phone call to a contractor at work? Yes, I will. While I'm during that time frame, I'm able to use every moment that I can. So being super productive with my time is a key factor. Nice. Okay. So there's so much involved with doing real estate deals and learning how the deals work. Managing contractors is a great example. Knowing what needs to be fixed. Heck, knowing how to manage a property. A lot of self-managers screw that up because they don't understand things like fair housing laws and make a lot of mistakes and get in a ton of trouble. How do you think about building those skills to run your real estate portfolio so that you're not stepping on landmines in the business? So we live in an age of technology, which is wonderful. Everything is online for free. Reading is huge. You have to know what's going on with these laws. You have to know what's going on with the environment around you. And you also need to know if you're self-managing like I do, you need to know the type of people who are gonna live in your type of facility. If I have a C-class property, that's different than an A-class property. It's a different type of people. You just have to be able to know these things and differentiate what's happening in each of them. But again, going back to reading, you got to read, you got to know what's going on. So I think a lot of times when we get started in real estate investing, we tend to not know exactly which way to go. And that leads to, yeah, we're putting the work in, but we tend to spin our wheels. Now you had that first deal, it fell through and then it came through. But after that first one, how did you think about finding the next one, finding the one that was the right fit for you to continue growing your portfolio? So our homes are all new construction. So we buy them off of MLS. They were very easy to buy in the midst of COVID when interest was one and 2%. It was just easy. Those to be honest with you, just kind of happened. We ended up moving out of that tiny little starter home into a little bit bigger of a house, turned that one into rental. Eventually, moved out of that one, turned it into a rental. That was a super easy way to go about it. The apartment complex was just networking, word of mouth. At this point, though, I'm being a little bit more strategic about how to find my deals. MLS really isn't hitting it for me right now. It's networking. It's meeting the people, making the contacts, seeing who can I help and who can help me in return. Gotcha. Okay. So you're telling me a bit before the show, we don't need to talk about this if you don't want to, but you're telling me a bit Go before ahead, the show that your apartment complex is on the market. Now, by the time this mm -hmm. goes live, it may well be totally sold, but you can you tell us about that process and what it's been like working to sell an apartment complex in a time where 
interest rates are high, things might be uncertain and, you know, a lot of things going on. So this process has been tough. We are currently not working with a real estate agent. I am an agent in my state. However, we bought it off market from the sweetest old man on planet Earth. So I was like, well, we bought it off market. It was a very simple, easy transaction. Let's let's pass it forward, you know, pay it forward and do it again. But the the cap rate on my complex and the current interest rate for an investment property in my state, it's exactly the same. So it's really a tough sell as far as financing goes. We are currently open to seller financing. And I hope by the time this airs, it does sell. But we're open to seller financing. It's something new. I do not know a ton about it. I am learning it right now. But we shall see. Nice. Okay. So... When we originally met, probably about six months ago now, about. I think we were at a little mini mastermind for a, a conference that we both attended in Salt Lake City. And I had encouraged you to go on podcast, start a podcast, mm-hmm. and look, here you are on my show. And you've been on a ton of others, you know, learning things, pushing forward, expanding your comfort zone. What have your experiences been like? expanding your comfort zone, putting yourself out there. You're a very talkative person, but you're still like, you were still a little reserved about getting out there on podcasts and yet here you are. So what's it been like expanding your comfort zone? I am such a people's person. I love people and I love to talk. However, I have learned, one of my biggest lessons I've learned through this process is one of my first and second podcasts I was on. I was so nervous that I spoke so fast that nobody could understand what I was saying. I was just going blah, 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 blah. Sure. And that is something that I am working on is slowing down my speech. I also, like I said, I'm from South Louisiana. So sometimes I get really excited. The whole Southern accent comes out and people just can't understand me. However, I've so enjoyed the process of being able to meet people and speak on their podcast. I am in the process of creating my own and I'm taking such great tips from everyone that I am on of what I like and what I don't like. But I do believe that with real estate, it's you're building a brand. People need to know who Hannah Bersage is. And they need to know that I believe that everybody can do this. And I am a big supporter and a cheerleader for other people doing their real estate adventures. So it's definitely a learning process for sure. So you believe that everybody can do this. And I certainly do as well. But it seems, you know, before you'd bought that first rental, it seems like you probably didn't really necessarily believe that, right? You needed to prove that to yourself. Is that true? Would you agree with that? And at what point did you start to believe anybody can do this? 100%. So the area that I grew up in, you were taught, if you want money, you need to go to work. If you want more money, you need to work harder, put in more overtime, go higher up the ladder. That's just what it was. And I'm starting to see with real estate, that's not correct. I have several college degrees and I do use them for teaching, but I don't need that for real estate. You just really need to know how to talk to people and make those connections because the financial part will take care of itself. You make those friends, you talk to the banks, it'll happen. But if you don't make these relationships or these contacts, the real estate's not gonna happen. And in the beginning, I was very skeptical that we could do it because we were just two regular, you know, people from South Louisiana, nothing fancy. And we did it. And everyone said, y'all are nuts, what are you doing? couple years later, a few doors down, people are like, what, what are y'all doing? How, how do I do that? Can, can you give me a call? It probably took me three or four transactions before I'm like, okay, anybody can do this. I do believe in myself, but I definitely believe in myself now more with a little bit more knowledge that I have. But I absolutely believe anyone can do this. There are bumps and it's hard, but this can be achievable. Even if you don't have a ton of money, you can partner up with three or four other people, come together. So what if you make $25 a month? That's more than you had before you started the process. And uh, yeah, anybody can do this. Firmly believe that. 
get the snowball rolling. And yes, I think absolutely someone much wiser than me once said that the best way to have confidence is not screaming affirmations in the mirror. It's by having an undeniable stack of proof and experiences that demonstrate that you're able to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So having done those deals, you can be confident. Okay, I can do this. I've done these deals. I now have confidence that I can push forward. Speaking of pushing forward, what does it look like for you moving forward and doing additional further deals, growing your portfolio? It sounds like the single families, the apartments, they were working, but you've kind of decided to maybe not pivot in a way, but redesign, rethink the strategy a little bit. So what does it look like moving forward? So strategies have completely changed. <laughs> we are, I mean, the, the market has just True. blown up. It's changed three or four different times in the two-ish, two and a half years that we've been doing this. I definitely still want to do multifamilies, the apartment complexes, hands down. However, we've started also looking a little bit more into not quite self-storage. I know that's one of your niches, but it's um, RV lots. We just bought a camper and it, I called a camper lot to seek. I live in a neighborhood with an HOA. I can't store my camper. Do you know what number I am in line to store my camper at this facility? 22. Wow. There are 22 other people ahead of me. I will never get a spot there. So I had to find a different spot. And I was like, there's a market for this because in our area, camping's a big thing. And most people live in neighborhoods now and can't store it. So we're looking at possibly partnering with someone and opening some RV lots. That's an option. We've also looked into franchises, buying businesses. That's an option. I've been doing a lot of research on what to do because the market is just, you can still buy stuff right now, but I'm not Blackstone. I'm not at the top of the list and I don't have $90 million to put on something. So I'm having to pivot a little bit. We're starting to look outside of our market as well. I've always wanted to stay in a drivable area that doesn't look feasible any longer. So the strategy has changed. It feels like I'm in six different positions trying to figure out what makes the most sense for me right now. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's hard to know exactly which way you want to go all the time. So rethinking that yeah. is, is important. So I mentioned that we both attended a conference, the best ever conference in Salt Lake City this year. I go every year and curious. Wonderful. I believe that was the first type of that event that you went to. I'm not certain yes. about that. It was. What was your biggest takeaway from that event? So that was the big, the biggest. That was the first one like that I've been to. I've been to tons of conferences, but none quite to that caliber. Mm -hmm. My biggest takeaway was the people in that room are meant to be in that room. If Let me explain that. The people there want to do business. The people there want to support you. The people there want to grow their portfolios, their families, their wealth. They, they, they want to do, they want to do the thing. They want to do it. It feels like I go to some of these other conferences and they're either there for motivation or they're, maybe I want to do this. This is a fun weekend in Florida. That conference just felt so much more serious. I made a contact there, Mr. John. I actually saw him again about three weekends ago at a conference in Dallas and he wants to do a deal together because we've met each other now at several other conferences. It just felt like that one was just so much more serious. I felt, well, I felt kind of dumb sometimes, when the speakers were speaking because I had no idea what they're talking about. But someone once a little bit older and wider than me said that if you want to do well, then be in a room where you're not the smartest. So I, I put myself in a position, in a place, in an arena, essentially, of people who are smarter than me because that's where I want to be. Okay. So when I first went to an event like that, granted it was eight-ish years ago, Okay. I felt an enormous sense of 
imposter syndrome. Uh, oh, 100%. And I was so scared, right? And I, I no longer feel that way, right? But had to get there. So you say 100%. Did you feel that? I mean, I, I didn't get that feeling off yes. of you while we were there, but how did you deal so, with that? I'm a bubbly person and I'm very much a fake it till you make it person. I put my business suit on and I feel businessy. However, a buddy of mine, Sterling, was there and I'm just like standing there with my husband the first day. He's, Hannah, are you okay? And I'm like, no, because I don't belong here. People won't talk to me. And he's like, go just walk up and talk to someone. I'm like, I can't do that. I just, I can't. Everyone's so serious. And imposter syndrome, 100% for sure. By day two, I kind of felt, okay, day three, I'm talking to everybody. Imposter syndrome is like something I battle constantly. I was asked to speak on a panel locally about a week ago. And when they called me, I'm like, me? Really? I'm just a nobody. Apparently they didn't think I was a nobody. But imposter syndrome is huge. Yes, especially at the best ever conference, which is literally the best ever conference I have ever been to. (laughs) So fake it till you make it. I think it works, but it's hard to, I think it can be hard. I don't want to say it is hard, but it can be hard to know okay, what do I need to fake right now in order to pretend that I'm not feeling this imposter syndrome? It sounds like you kind of just started talking to people. Heck, you could have come and talked to me. You know me, but, you know, random people around. You just kind of got out there and started talking? Pretty much. I walked up to him. Shannon Robnett was there, and he was doing mm-hmm. a little podcast there. And I walked by, and I'm like, hey, how are you? What's going on? And he's like, you want to be on my podcast? I'm like, absolutely. Literally just walking up to people and talking to them. What kind of books do you like? Where are you from? I try when I go to conferences to steer away from the Tell me your investing story because you hear that 300 times a day. It's more like, what books do you like? If you could go on a vacation, like unlimited money with your family, where would you go? Just like you're just making a friend. I know it sounds silly, but that works for me. Interesting. I would go back to Italy if is, is my answer. Even though I've been to Italy, I just love Italy so much. Beautiful. See, and I would go back to Budapest, Hungary, nice. because that was just the coolest city ever. That's a good choice. And that's a great question. I like the the creative concept there and asking mm-hmm. interesting questions rather than... It lets people break down their barriers. It lets them just kind of be them for a minute and not... Because I believe... Even if you're like Joe Fairless, you have imposter syndrome for a few minutes because it's a big room. It's full of a lot of people. Everybody's in a suit and everybody just looks so slick and important. And we all put our you know, pants on one leg at a time. But it's still scary even just to walk up to a group of strangers. It is. But taking that first step and getting more comfortable with it, eventually you don't even think about it. You just go say That's right. hi. So. That's right. Great. Well, Anna, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Hannah, I've got three questions I ask every guest in the show. You listen to the show. You know this. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? It's going to kind of link to education. I've been talking about this the entire show, conferences. I love them. The content is amazing, which is your education. Granted, you can find a lot of stuff online. 
the conferences is the networking guys. It is unparalleled to anything else. The people you meet from different walks of life to the conversations, it's just conferences 100%. Yeah. So much to learn. So many great people to meet. and Absolutely. They can be incredibly exhausting, though. Is my oh, point. my gosh. It's tiring <laughs> at the end of every day. Yes. Great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Probably not going to conferences sooner. When we first started, I, I know it's silly. When we first started uh, investing, I, I didn't know anything. We had one little house. We had a manager. We didn't do anything, right? But if I would have gone to conferences in the very beginning and listened to these speakers and listening to all these masterminds, what could I have done if I would have plopped down a chunk of change and joined a mastermind from day one? Where could I be right now? Where could I be? And that is probably my biggest regret whatever you want to call it, is I should have done something faster sooner. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I think that's a sign that you ultimately made the right move. So, you know, it's not all bad. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? That's a hard question. It's a good question. But it's a hard one. I like it. I think that a lesson is you need to be empathetic. I self-manage. People have lives. People have tragedies, people have things. However, this is a business. You don't pay, you don't stay. But I think having empathy is a big part of this business. And I think that's something I have learned as I have progressed through this journey is being empathetic. Being polite is a huge step in the right direction. Even if you have a D-class property, that person still has a life and a family. And being able to treat them with humility and empathy it goes a long way. I love that. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today and coming on the show. It's uh, great to finally have you on. If folks want to reach out and get in touch and learn more about what you're up to, where can they find you? I am on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You you pick it. I'm on it. Just type in Hannah Bersage. Chances are you're going to find me. My name is weird. So you'll find me there. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, and Hannah knows this, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see your ratings and reviews, and I get to see that you're engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. 